Now we have the war between Hamas and Israel, which has brought new risks to the fore. It's a policy statement, which means it's a guideline on what government intends to spend and what it thinks it is going to generate in terms of tax revenues. Ahead of Enoch Badumbwana's third medium-term budget policy statement, what revisions will be made to the budget? And what are people expecting to hear to inspire business confidence? Hello, and welcome to OSA's podcast series. I am Margot G, and today we will be discussing what we expect from next week's medium-term budget policy statement amidst the current economic environment. Last time we did a podcast regarding the medium-term budget policy statement, it was the Minister of Finance, Enoch Godungwana's first. This time, in 2023, the National Treasury has a new Director General, Duncan Peterser, who has inherited a budget deficit and high debt in a global environment of high inflation and global tensions. Not only has much changed internationally, but domestically, there are many demands on a very limited pool of funds. With us today is Aizam Klange, our own fellow and chief economist and head of research at Rand Merchant Bank. And we will be unpacking the current fiscal position and what people are expecting to hear next week Wednesday. In addition to writing many columns in Business Day and Sunday Times, Zaya has had significant experience at Alex Forbes, the IMF, and the National Treasury. Welcome, Zaya. It is a pleasure to have you on our show again. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a while since we spoke. Yeah, it's great to have you back. So before we get into the depths, what is the medium-term budget policy statement, and how different is it to the budget speech, and why does it matter? Look, I think uh, the uh, medium-term budget policy statement, as it says, it's a view over the medium term, which means it's not just a one-year you know, view of where the fiscal uh, um, accounts are going. It looks through over the next three years. And then it's a policy statement, which means it's a guideline on what government intends to spend and what it thinks it is going to generate in terms of tax revenues. So essentially, it gives the broad priorities of government as far as spending is concerned, given expectations of particular uh, tax revenue collections. That's, that's the, the, the MTBPS in short. If we look at the budget speech, though, it gives a one-year view. Its focus is a one-year view of what government's priorities are going to be over the next year even though in the actual budget documents you would have projections about you know, uh, the, the fiscal positioning or intention of government or, over the next three years. But its for, core focus is the coming fiscal year. That's, that's what the, the budget speech concentrates on. Okay, so this is very useful in amending any policies that we have in formulation. So let's unpack some of the recent global developments. American elections are coming up. As the war in Ukraine continues, we have faced high food and fuel price inflation. South Africa finds itself with new BRICS countries, including Iran and Saudi Arabia. And a war between Israel and Palestine has caused heartache and a deeper divide between the global north and the rest of the world. How do you think these global conditions will impact our economy? Look, I think the impact uh, can potentially be be big. If, if we go back to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we can understand 
what that meant for, for the global economy, but for our own economy because of the disruptions in energy markets, in the uh, trade in grains, uh, it meant that fuel costs, food price inflation also shot up, which had a direct co negative consequence to our own economy. Now we have the war between Hamas and Israel, which has uh, you know, brought new risks to the fall, particularly for the energy markets. The risk there is if a larger country that is a major oil producer in the Middle East is drawn into the war, it might disrupt energy markets. So we have seen this in the 1970s. We also saw this in the 2000s, and we saw it, you know, we saw similar when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, you know, in terms of the impact of energy markets. So that is where the risk lies. As it stands, I think market expectations are that the war is going to be contained between Hamas and Israel, and therefore it's not going to uh, to lead to a major oil producer in the Middle East being drawn into the war. That's the that's what markets are pricing in, but there is a risk that this might change. We are not seeing any de-escalation between Hamas and Israel, but we are also seeing. Uh, the U.S. sending warships towards Israel. So has China done the same, sending warships towards uh, Israel as well, which means it seems uh, in addition to the two uh, you know, parties that are directly involved, we have supporters of these two parties also not de-escalating, but posturing in a way that suggests we are not anyway close to the end of this. So that is the risk. It, it might have significant uh, you know, implications for global trade, but also for inflation from a, a energy perspective, even in terms of investment. When countries are at war, they don't invest in new productive capacity. They invest in defense, which does not necessarily increase economic growth as we know it, or does not result in better quality of economic growth that can distribute the benefits of you know a growing economy to a larger population so that that is what yes. uh, you know we the risk that we face because of this conflict and as they say inflation is the poor man's tax. Yeah. it affects everybody and the distribution is fairly equal in, indeed <laughs> so it still probably contribute to inequality yeah. now if we take this to South Africa, last year we had a commodity windfall which boosted corporate income tax. As a result, the MTBPS revised the budget deficit estimate from 6% to 4.9%. And according to the latest budget, government spending is 4.2% more than tax revenues. Are we expecting the unexpected or any windfalls this year? We are not expecting any windfalls. Uh, particularly from the corporate income tax perspective. As you alluded to, in the last two years, we've had windfalls that were driven by better performance of commodity prices, and therefore the mining sector and, and banking sector locally performed very well, paying significant taxes to the state. That uh, support is no longer there. Commodity prices have come off. 
and the mining sector, in addition to lower commodity prices, they have to deal with infrastructure constraints, uh, being lack of uh, you know sufficient or efficient rail network system to enable them to ship the commodities to offshore markets. That's also has reduced the profitability of the mining sector, which filters through into the banking sector and ultimately into our tax revenue collections. So we don't expect much um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, tax windfalls. If we were to look at uh, personal income tax, it has held up quite nicely, continues to, to grow better than budgeted, um, but it's not sufficient to offset the decline or the underperformance in corporate income tax, which means we end up with a fiscal hole in terms of revenues. Our estimate is revenues are likely to underperform by about 12 billion rand, which would which would then be, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, it doesn't seem to be a big number, but on the expenditure side, the significant, uh, you know, overspendings, that would mean the fiscal adjustment in total is going to be far larger than what we were told in February. Gosh. Okay, and speaking about the fiscal adjustments, one important line item in the budget is the amount that we're spending on servicing our debt. According to this year's budget, debt service costs were 340 billion rand. So for context, this is about 10% short of what we have allocated to social development. Mm. To save money here, the economy needs growth or a lowered cost of borrowing. Mm. This week, the Saab six-month gauge measuring economic performance showed a mild improvement of economic activity, which was 0.4% in South Africa. What else can we listen out for that would signal better growth or a lower cost of borrowing? Look, I think uh, debt service costs are one of the biggest expenditure items and also the fastest growing. And there are a number of reasons why that is the case. First, the increase in state bailouts over the years meant that we had to go into the market and borrow in order to bail those, those state-owned uh, enterprises. So that increased the, the stock of debt. And then secondly, if you look in terms of the response of markets to inflation and therefore monetary policy response to that inflation as well has meant that the yield curve, which is essentially, uh, you know, across all maturities of bond issuance, we have seen it, you know, increase or we have seen a parallel shift upwards, bond yields rising significantly. So essentially investors are saying we will buy South African bonds only if the yield is so high and that yield is what we pay in terms of debt service costs. So we have seen a steepening of the yield curve, which means borrowing over the long term is increasingly becoming more expensive, and that leads to a fast-rising debt servicing costs that crowds out investments, it crowds out spending on social services. And perhaps while I'm at that, let me put, something that we, we have accustomed to, that is no longer the case. Historically, because it has never been that difficult to borrow from markets and because we also had low debt levels, we would simply 
taxes that we have and spend on all our spending priorities. And then at the end, we would say, how much do we need to go and borrow from the market? And then we would go and borrow. It was easy to do that. So we did that. Now the calculus is changing. We look at how much taxes do we have to collect in terms of revenues. And given those tax revenues, we say how much debt service cost do we need to pay? And then we pay for debt service cost first before any social spending or that we need to do. And whatever that is left, we say, okay, how much can we borrow from the market to fulfill what we need to spend? In a way, we have to cap our spending because of our ability to borrow from the market that has now been reduced compared to the past, which is a very different environment mm -hmm. to operate in. Yes. Wow. And I just think the decrease of the 12 billion expected with tax revenue, it almost it, it's, it almost pales in significance to the 340 billion that we have to look at servicing our debt. But definitely, definitely something. Gosh, so another important line item is the social development one, which includes funds allocated to social support grants, such as the Social Relief of Distress Grant. According to this year's budget, social development was allocated 378.5 billion rand. Domestically, we have elections coming up next year. And we have seen in the news this week that due to high inflation and operating costs, mining companies are laying off workers. Under a strained budget deficit, can we expect provisions to be made here? Look, it's going to be quite difficult to see revisions. Uh, I think it's quite important to put um, in context what is the total spending now relative to the budget. So if we look at the current run rate, essentially looking at the growth in spending from uh, the beginning of the fiscal year to, to August, it suggests that there is overspending of about 185 billion rand. That would need to be consolidated. Wow. This is in addition to the uh, nearly 12 billion rand uh, under collection in tax revenue. So combined, mm. the main budget balance is going to widen by 196 billion rand, which means that is what wow. we need to go and uh, uh, either reduce spending or raise new taxes. If we don't do anything, it means we have to increase our fiscal deficit from 3.9% to 6.7%. And clearly that is not an acceptable wow. or that is not something that the market is going to take well. Um, and, and, and we are likely to see significant increase in our bond yields. But we don't think Treasury is going to, see, to, to just do nothing. They are likely to respond by cutting spending and even perhaps raising some new revenues. There have been talk of an increase in value added tax between one to 2% that can generate about 25 billion to 50 billion rand that can then be used to fund some of the social spending that were introduced by government during COVID, such as the social relief of distressed grant. Mm -hmm. It's not budgeted for beyond March 2020, uh, 2024, which means its extension would necessitate 
new tax revenues to fund it on a sustained basis. And our assumption is it's going to be extended. It's difficult to take it away because of the political context that you alluded to. It's a general election next year. And rarely do we see a withdrawal of social spending uh, programs ahead of an election year, which is quite key, given that if you look at opinion polls, they suggest the ruling party might get anyway around 40% of the vote, which means they might not be able to obtain the majority to rule. And that can put pressure in terms of keeping those social uh, spending programs in the budget that would need permanent funding. So we are in a very tight spot, uh, but it would require you know, a response in order to, to reduce the fiscal risks that we have. Yes. And tell me, Isai, which other risks to fiscal sustainability do we expect? I think the first one would be additional bailouts for state-owned companies. This morning, Transnet is reported to have asked for a debt takeover from the state to ease its balance sheet. But beyond Transnet, the usual state-owned company support might remain uh, with us, which means those are risks to fiscal sustainability. The second one would be low economic growth without a you know an increase in economic growth over the medium medium term or medium to long term no amount of expenditure cuts no revenue hikes are going to solve our fiscal sustainability because if you're cutting spending essentially you're cutting one part of a source of growth particularly if you cut spending on fixed investment it means future economic growth is undermined mm. And then if you raise taxes, you're raising taxes for a very narrow tax base. At some point in time, it starts to become negative. That's the usual Lafa curve, where there's a certain level of taxes that go beyond which they start becoming negative for economic growth. So these are short-term levers. Medium-term levers, you need economic growth that can generate enough tax revenues, either through companies paying corporate income tax directly, or through companies employing people that pay personal income tax and through both that also pay value-added tax when they, when they purchase goods and services in the economy. So we need economic growth that should be based on a credible economic reform agenda that can then attract or build business confidence such that businesses, whether local or foreign, will find it confident to invest in the South African economy and therefore generating growth. Absence of a credible growth agenda underpinned by deep and fast economic reforms, then we will sit with a potential fiscal crisis down the line. Hopefully we will see these indicators in next week's MTVPS. Is there anything else you would like to add, Desire? Look, I think uh, we just have to accept that this budget is potentially a very difficult one. If you look at the February budget, the macro conditions were still quite conducive. Global growth was relatively strong, expected to remain strong. Commodity prices were still relatively okay. So 
we had a better environment then. And then fast forward to now, we have seen a significant change in markets, in part because of sentiment that has been uh, driven into negative territory. Remember in May, we had the U.S. ambassador's allegations of Lady R, the ship that was alleged to have loaded arms to, to Russia. That led to a sell-off in markets, in bonds, and the currency. And we have seen since a partial reversal of that sell-off, but it actually had a negative impact on sentiment overall that contributed into poor growth expectations. And then we had, you know, aggressive increase in interest rates globally, leading to a strong dollar and capital outflows, precisely at the time when we need investment to be rising, driven by capital inflows, but also driven by domestic investors. That has also contributed in a negative direction. So the macro environment has changed significantly so. And the conflict in the Middle East, in Ukraine, don't help. They actually elevates the risks that we have to face uh, going forward. And hopefully we get a resolution on both of those. Uh, the U.S. election also a big risk because it might actually determine whether we see a weaker dollar or a strong dollar or whether the U.S. economy goes into recession or not, and whether the U.S. can mediate in the different conflict in Ukraine and the Middle East rather than fuel the conflicts that put the world at risk. So, difficult environment, mm. but I think we have to be hopeful and positive. And the one aspect that should inspire some form of hope is the response of the private sector to problems that we understand to be uh, solved by government ordinarily, which would be transport, which would be water, which would be rail. The private sector's response to energy, we expect something similar in these aspects. And there are so many examples of when the private sector have responded to what, what we commonly understood to be public goods, as long as they can do it profitably. So the private sector has stepped up, and perhaps it's where we should keep our hopes alive because of the ingenuity and the willingness of the private sector to play a role, of course, side by side with government. Yes, the, the private sector is very resilient, and uh, America is also an important trade yeah. partner, so hopefully... This will, they will work well together. Thank you so much, Isaiah, as always. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much for, for having me, and hopefully so we chat soon again. Definitely, I look forward to it. And uh, we also look forward to hearing the MTBPS next week and watching out what okay, involves. Thank you. I'm Margaret G, and this is the OSA podcast series. A big thank you to our listeners. And should you wish to contact us, please email me at margo.econrsa.org or reach out on our socials. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our social media channels. Till next time, enjoy.